This is Bespoke, a podcast exploring the making of bespoke objects and experiences. Devised and hosted by Adriana Pace-Kent. So, hello, and a very warm welcome to the Business Design Centre, to London Art Fair, and to a conversation about the fine art of commissioning. I'm Adriana Pace-Kent. I'm the founder of Woven Spaces, a creative property development company that unlocks value in commercial buildings and shapes meaningful places. The panel session this morning is being recorded and will be edited for broadcast as part of Bespoke, a Woven Spaces podcast series exploring the stories behind bespoke objects and experiences, from a tailor-made suit to a new home, unique perfume, or even an edible installation. Bring together creative minds in conversation, it looks at why people commission, how they can engage with a maker, and what to expect along this rich and rewarding journey. So, first, let me introduce you to our brilliant panel. Cynthia Valianti-Corbett is an art historian, curator, and leading international gallerist. She enjoyed a high-profile career as an economist before establishing her gallery in 2004. The Cynthia Corbett Gallery has a broad annual exhibition programme and represents established as well as emerging contemporary artists worldwide. Always on the lookout for new talent, Cynthia is also founder of the Young Masters Art Prize, a curatorial platform that nurtures and supports emerging artists working in a wide range of media and processes. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Jane Adams is the founder of Author, a luxury online interior gallery that specialises in the curation of expertly crafted British furniture and accessories. Jane originally studied dentistry, but always had an interest in interiors and beautiful things. Her work at Author invites and encourages people to embrace the long-lasting pleasure of having considered and well-crafted pieces specially made for them in their homes. A champion of ethical and sustainable design, Jane is passionate about supporting young makers and sharing the stories behind their unique pieces. Jane, it's a pleasure to have you here today with us. Thank you. Thank you. So, like an immaculately tailored Savile Row suit, a bespoke object for the home should fit perfectly and make a statement. Commissioning is an invitation to follow curiosity and creativity, to learn about and be immersed in an artistic process, to enjoy the exciting and often unexpected outcomes that follow. This may be an heirloom that tells a personal story, one that communicates layers of emotion and connection, exploring the world through an artist's unique lens. This rich and rewarding creative journey, or the fine art of commissioning, is the focus of our conversation today. Together, we will explore how collectors can move from collecting an artist's work to shaping a piece together in conversation. So, my first question is to you, Jane. What does the process of commissioning a bespoke object for the home look like? I come at this from two hats. One hat being the author hat, so creating pieces that are unique and beautiful mean a huge amount to us as a business and being able to showcase those pieces in a way that allows access to a large variety of people easily is really exciting. And the second hat is really from an interior design angle. I do interior design with private clients. So we work from a commissioning angle with a one-to-one basis with makers creating exclusive pieces for author and another working with private clients, creating an exclusive piece for their home. And that can be something very, very small, petite, um, be it a bronze that is specifically made for themselves, um, 
from one of our very clever makers or a piece of madras lace that has been specifically designed for them by a textile designer. So commissioning for us covers many mediums and from very large pieces to very small pieces. And we're at a constant battle of removing the association with elitism with commissioning and making it accessible, enjoyable process for both the maker and the client. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. And so, Cynthia, how does um, this process differ when commissioning a work of art? Yeah, it, it, it is quite different. Um, as a gallerist and curator, obviously, what, what our big role is, is to nurture talent, promote artists, promote creativity, support creativity. However, the flip side of that, of course, is we need, the artists rely on us to be working with clients, working with collectors, getting their work out there and being successful in placing it. So the challenge with commissioning versus, I would say, what is in the, in the heart of the artist, this is one of the, the tensions that you find when you are commissioning art. It's, it's also a gift, really, because... A lot of the commissioning process is that a client, whether a, a corporate or public or private, falls in love with an artist's style. Um, but, and, I, and I can give a really, really good example of this because I think that's always helpful. Um, we represent an artist um, named Andy Burgess. And Andy Burgess is a British artist known for his beautiful, colorful paintings of architecture. So we were approached by the charity arm of Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. And uh, they wanted um, Andrew to create a commission for their new neonatal wing. But one of the greatest challenges was you can't have real uh, material. It had to be on vinyl. And um, Andy Burgess is really, um, you know, not a digital artist. So that's, a, you know, that is one example of, like, having to be so technical. And it meant that really as a gallerist, I had to play a mediator role. And I think that that has to be taken very, very seriously by the gallerist or the advisor, whoever is working with the artist. So the artist can continue you know, the creative practice, but have all those logistical issues. So, I mean, that's one of the big challenges, I think. Definitely. I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about the role of a gallery as a conduit for kind of connecting artists and commissioners? And how do you manage expectations? Because I imagine that's one of the challenges um, and help kind of shape these creative conversations effectively in a way that's rewarding to both the artist and the client. Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Because as the, the gallerist, you must be really the negotiator. Mm. Yeah, you're a translator, I, I, yeah, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. And it's really interesting because you're protecting both interests. You, you must protect your artist and their creative practice. But at the same time, you must guide them. So I think sensitivity, um, being a mediator, being an intermediary, being aware of all the logistical concerns, and also, frankly, being able to talk about money. And, and take that money side away from the artist so that, because that can be really uncomfortable. Mm. That's interesting. And, and 
Can you expand on this role in the context of your work? Absolutely. I think key is communication with everything. Expectations, and that means the brief has to be considered from the off, from all parties' point of view. So the client's brief delivered to the artist, and then the artist's understanding of that brief acting as a mediator, the person in the middle. I think that's the key part to really wiggle out to begin with, get everybody settled and sorted. And then all the things that come to you from left and right, as you, dis- you discover throughout the process, that's manageable and you can control that. But how do you help your, your clients, Cynthia, understand how to shape a brief, how to articulate what it is they really want? Because it sounds like that's one of the key elements to a successful commission, particularly in a fine art context. Yeah, so so it, again, like what, what you were saying, Jen, about the communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so I represent the amazing Deborah Azapati. Um, we, we had a very interesting uh, project come up uh, in 2015-16 with the um, Amy Winehouse Foundation. Um, and I think it's a great example of being um, proactive, and compassionate and, and, and having two very creative people, obviously the artist and then also the, the Winehouse family because they wanted something to commemorate their daughter to celebrate the, the Amy Winehouse Foundation. Um, but there were all kinds of pitfalls. We can't go into that, some you know legal things. And through the relationship with Deborah and us and, and the parents, we were able to come up with a way to get the essence of, of, of Amy Winehouse, um, but through the practice of how Deborah works, because Deborah always works with models that are just like normal people. So she brought in um, her daughter, who is the, was the same age as Amy, and but they they styled it together in a way, the family and Deborah, um, in a way that. Um, just meant so much to everyone. And um, so it can be a very emotional process, I guess, as well. I I, I think it's about, you know, it is a conversation in that respect. This is about relationships. This is about people. And the outcome may be a beautiful painting or a wonderful object for your home. But actually, in the end, it's just a repository for the memory of that fantastic creative conversation. Um, On which note, Jane... um, you talk about, um, in author, about sustainability and the principles of slow design, both in the making of an object and the stories they tell. Can you expand a little bit? On yeah, this? absolutely. Just in the nature of the way our artists and makers work and operate, there is no mass production. So if you're looking for a chair or a beautiful little gin table or uh, even a lamp, we... The makers and people that we work with are producing small runs or one-off pieces. So sustainability and ethical practices are really just part and parcel of how they operate and how they work, which is not really the case that you're finding in mass-produced, potentially imported pieces. So um, you want 
pieces that your children or your family members are going to argue over when you're no longer here. The things that somebody's put a yellow sticky underneath saying, it's mine. You know, it's, <laughs> Legacy. it's exactly yeah. heirloom, very yeah. much so, special things. And do you have any examples that you can share with us? Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. Stuff? Tiny, that's going back to these tiny things. We've got a wonderful maker by the name of Alice from Pomerius, who is in, based in Suffolk. And she works in bronze, cast bronze, and, and usually works within fruits, British fruits, fruits that are picked or gathered. Um, and from a walled garden, um, a client's father has conference pear tree, not a perfect conference pear tree by any standards, all weird and gnarled and knobbly conferences, but very special nonetheless. And so two of these pears were picked, sent to Alice. She uses a lost wax technique to create beautiful replicas of fruit, true replicas, all the little wiggle woggly gnarly bits. Um, and those two pairs are currently sitting on the mantelpiece in a drawing room, much loved by the family. And that, that's what I mean, that commissioning can be so accessible for everybody. Um, so you've both obviously spoken about commissions that have been um, very successful um, and both parties have been very satisfied. Um, I think it might be interesting to explore, which is always a challenging thing, the, the potential pitfalls or challenges that might emerge in a commissioning process. Cynthia, could you share your thoughts on this and maybe how you found a way to get it back on track? It's, um, it, it, it's about managing expectations, but also it's about managing expectations on time. Yeah, mm -hmm. actually. <laughs> time was <Yeah>. that key <laughs> word. Yeah. And, Boy, have we, you know, we've come unstuck a few a few times with, you know, unrealistic expectations. I, I have to say, it's it's not like oh, build me a table. Well, you know, if it's a if it's a if it's a craftsperson building the table, that's very different than if it's a factory. So it's going to be a similar process. It's it's going to take time. Um, so I guess from the very beginning, we we're we are are very aware of that and we want to get that in the brief. You know, what is the absolute hard deadline? And we've had that a few times. And then the client changes their mind slightly on something, which actually happened, and they still wanted the deadline. And then you have to, you know, you have to find a way to be very diplomatic and, you know, you use your most negotiating skills and say, well, you know, you... Because because the client is always right. That's the other thing. The client is always right. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's the way it is. And um, so you have to find a way to um, then manage that and 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 get things get things back on on track. It's about taking both parties along on that creative yes. journey yes. and just journey. shepherding them gently um, towards this wonderful yes. resolution. So moving back to successful commissions um i'd like to ask actually put this to both of you but i'll ask jane first um how do you define a successful commission and kind of what criteria do you apply um and can you share an example and, and what made it particularly yeah successful? absolutely i think the the you can view it from probably let's say that the emotional aspect which I want lots of positivities connected with the emotional aspects, so joyous um, and that feeling of satisfaction and the fact that both maker and client have enjoyed the process. So not just that end point we were speaking about earlier, it's the whole process that should be a joyous 
enriching experience across the board. And then the other side is the actual end product, which is, is the, the, the reason why we've all started this at the beginning. Um, is everybody chuffed with it? Is there an immediate emotional connection? Have we fulfilled the brief? Have we created the beauty that we were all after? Um, and when that's done, that has got to be just so rewarding. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Cynthia, anything you want to kind of share? Uh, well, it was, it's just interesting because some of my, um, a, a very successful commission we had was um, uh, for artist Isabel Van Zell, who is a, um, a photographer, and we have one of her works here um, on display. And she, she creates work about herself. So she's the subject, she's the object, and it's about beauty, and it's about looking at art history. Well, we were approached by clients who said, um, would she ever do anybody else? And it was very interesting because she had done her two sons and she said, I will only consider doing children and they have to be that still innocent stage. And so it was really, really challenging, but we've done now three commissions with our clients of their children and it's just been so incredible and successful and rewarding in every way like you said Jane and for the families it's like a legacy that they will have this forever so you um with your gallery you support um a lot of wonderful emerging artists how do you support a commission when working with an emerging artist is it different what do you have to consider yeah, it's, it is really, yeah, it's more challenging. So I say it's about experience and confidence, which many times an emerging artist just can't have yet. So that is a real challenge because you, you really can't push too hard because you could, you could throw their whole confidence out because they're just kind of beginning and they need that, that, um, but at the same time, um, I, I just, you know, I, I, I do. I, I have this tension sometimes because I, I don't want an artist to not have that opportunity because it can make and break them. But also it can maybe potentially establish a long-lasting relationship with a commissioner who then may become more of a patron in that respect um, and support and, again, hold space for other work to be yeah. developed. And that's really, a, that's a fantastic point. Uh, the commissioner then becomes a part of that artist's career. And then they know that they are as well. Because I just think it's such a rewarding process to also to have an insight into someone's kind of creative development and then to feel engaged with that and to feel that they are unlocking moments of opportunity within somebody's career um, to maybe challenge to work in a different context or at scale or in a different medium as, as you, you know, you had to explore um, with the Chelsea and Westminster vinyls. So again, my, my last question is really about kind of what advice you'd give to someone who's interested in commissioning art for the first time. You know, how can we inspire and support people to kind of take this leap from collecting an artist's work to actually entering into a conversation and shaping a work with them in the form of a commission? So 
And perhaps Jane, if you yeah, want to. absolutely. Just to encourage people to to be open, open to considering um, something that they've seen in passing and potentially they could own in their own home and engage in shaping that with the artist so their emotional, what they're trying to capture emotionally is manageable. So anything is possible across all mediums. Um, so if you've got a spark, ask, converse, um, speak to the artist directly. Don't feel any form of restriction, I think is key. And engage, engage with the gallerist, engage with designers um, who can help hold your hand and walk you through the process. So um, go for it, frankly, is a long and short. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's I would say so that important. everything, everything yeah. Jane is saying. And then again, uh, encourage the the commissioner, the client, the collector, to have confidence in their self. Yes. In their vision, because that's that's key. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your insights today. Um, I think uh, it'd be great to open up the conversation to the audience. So if anyone would like to ask a question to our wonderful um, panel, please do put up your hand and the fantastic Caitlin will come and... Hi. Um, Come with the microphone. Hi, Vicky Captain here from Kensington Chelsea Art Week. You say don't say no, but what if the client can't really afford what they want? What do you say mm. then? What do you do with that? Well, that's interesting. Uh, it's like managing expectations. So we did have a, a really good example of this. Um, one of the artists that we represent is an artist named Clary Reese. She's an American, trained here at City and Guilds and is based now in, in where she's from in San Francisco. And we did have, we had something like this with her, with her, she does um, these incredible Petri dish hype, um, she calls them hypochondriac installations with Petri dishes. And this client saw um, the, the 150 and it was massive and it was all over the place. And and they had a wall that they wanted to fill. So what we did, we went back to Clary and said, here's the wall. They can't afford 150 pieces, but they can afford less. So what she did, she created this, this installation mm -hmm. that filled their wall anyway. And it was, it was half the price. So we got it. That's, that's, and they got what they wanted. And so I guess, I mean, that was a little bit easier than say someone that is you know, a, a, a painting or a, a jug that is, you know, a certain size. But there's always probably ways, but it may not be exactly. And, and I guess our role then is to kind of come up with, a, with an alternative that could be just as gorgeous and creative and wonderful um, and then ask the artist what they could do with that. So you're saying always have a go? Yeah. Uh, and if the artist in question is not willing to yeah. compromise, then what would you do? Suggest something? I mean, well, how if, does that work with your artist? Well, if the artist really won't do it, if the artist really, or, or really, maybe, it's not that they won't, probably that they can't, mm. um, then maybe, and we have done this before as well, we'll say, well, um, if it's financial, uh, how about um, an installment plan? You know, how about something where... Um, you are are paying in in installments and and you you know you have a deposit with us and and we've we've discussed it with the artist and the artist will do something um and then we we work on it on it that way um 
I haven't really, fortunately, I've, I've never had the experience where we've, when a client really wants to do something and doesn't quite have the budget, I've, we've, we've always been, we've always worked it out somehow. Somehow. I don't know how, but we have. I think the key is to converse about it right at the beginning, initially, so everybody's aware, discussing it right from the off, and then working out the parameters that potentially you could achieve something that fulfills the brief to a certain degree, gives the client um, something that they're delighted with, but allows the artist to, to work within their creative boundaries and be appropriately re remunerated. And yeah, do the whole, these things are not, they do not happen overnight. So often that um, piecemeal payment plan system um, could work in some manner or another. So it's just that open line of communication. Try and, try and keep the wheels on and keep them turning, going in the right direction. I think that's the other thing. Find a way um, to be nimble. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Thank mm -hmm. you. So we have another question, Caitlin. There you go. I'm a founder of a uh, foundation uh, supporting contemporary art in Bulgaria. And we commissioned already art. This year we decided to commission video art. And I'm really scared about it because I must say it's very difficult for me to love video art. And, but I think it's the right thing to do, to support the artists in Bulgaria who deal with video art because we are supporting contemporary art in Bulgaria. So video art is really, I, I, I have represented from the very beginning of my gallery, I have to say, I loved video art, good video art. It's a, sorry, there's a lot of not good video <laughs> art, in my opinion. But um, so video art is, is it's, it's complicated because it's film. So that means it's technical. Again, we go back to this question. It is very, very technical. So just be aware of that and, and, and be really patient about that. When you're working with artists, it's not, um, you, you have so many other elements and some of them they cannot control. Um, and what you, you said that you don't know why you were doing it or you just felt you wanted to support them. Maybe my idea might want for you would be to come up with a theme in, within, the, within the film video context, whether that would be environment or motherhood or something that, that your artist can then, can then um, work towards. Because video art is just like, I mean, there's... But I always yeah. think a really good brief starts with you actually interrogating and then articulating why you're doing anything. Because if you understand the why, then there's a great success for people being able to connect. And even if the why is, I'm not really sure about video art, but I want to understand. I want to be able to confront that boundary, that barrier that I've established for myself. That in itself has huge value um, and huge potential for an artist to, to explore, to unlock, to unpick. Um, so that would be my advice, is always really kind of understand the why behind a, a, an opportunity in a brief. Fantastic. Uh, we have another question at the back, Caitlin. So I want to ask you more from kind of, um, I'm an art advisor, so kind of more brokering that relationship. Um, so you're talking about kind of emerging artists and um, sort of introducing them to that process. But obviously with emerging artists, not many collectors are aware of them. So it's just really interesting to kind of understand kind of, as a gallerist, do you begin that conversation? Like, are you the person that would kind of you know, maybe you have collectors on your books that you say, actually, do you know what? I think this artist would be really interesting to mm -hmm. you. And then is it you that would kind of start to begin to say, you know what? 
this would be maybe we can mm. think about commissioning or, or is it the collector that kind of drives that conversation it's just quite interesting to know I think that's a great question if I think there's a, there's a possibility that a collector, a client, is interested in potentially some of the emerging artists, I would probably show what the body of work they have mm -hmm. because they've already worked on it and they've invested in it. Uh, however, if it's if there's a spark there, and I see the spark, but but for whatever reason those pieces are not right. Yes, that that's where it starts, and then it was like, well, you you could commission planting the seed, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Fantastic, thank you. I think we have time for one more question, um, perhaps down here. Thank you, Kate. Um, I've experience of successful and, in one case, very unsuccessful commissioning. Well, I'd be interested to hear you say is to talk a little bit about whereby the the commissioner is talking directly to the maker. And could you say a little bit about how to manage things when expectations go wrong under those circumstances? Again, it comes down to that communication point. I think everybody needs to win in this process. There isn't, there isn't, and, and I think that has to be right from the off. Respect for both the client and the artist is the key. And if there is a middle man, then it is our role to smooth that through. Because we've got, with author, I've got the luxury of if something isn't quite right, but it's working within, with an artist or a maker whose work we already showcase, if it's not right, usually we could scoop it up and it's not gone to the person who's commissioned it, but it will go to somebody else who falls in love with that piece. So there's a bit of a cushion there, if that makes sense. But I'm not dealing with, again, £500,000 pieces. We could be dealing with £5,000 pieces. So we can manage that, and it softens everybody's... It, it's when there isn't that cushion. Absolutely. Well, that, that's a challenge. And when... Yeah. It, you almost feel that at that point you do, you need a mediator and a friendly mediator that's coming in, not expecting any, but anything on the monetary point, but just operating in that marital mediation front, which is smooth lines of communication. And how I think the key as well is interacting during the process. So when there is a problem, it's caught earlier on rather than later on. I know uh, this is, retro it's all great retrospectively, isn't it? Mm. But when you're in at the end of the day, but you shouldn't have got there at the first point. That's, that's, that's wrong. I guess perhaps the advice is that would probably be do it with the support of a mediator. If you're not able to, then I would say from a commissioner's perspective is to be really clear about your brief, to be very engaged in the process and to be aware that you are there to, you're doing this in conversation, you're there to shape it. And if it goes wrong, then you're part of the process, you're part of the conversation. I, I totally, Don't just sit totally back. Agree. Well, thank you, everyone, today. I think that's all the questions we have time for, unfortunately. Um, I do hope that our discussion has inspired more collectors in the room um, to take the leap and shape a bespoke work in conversation with an artist. Um, 
We'll be releasing this recorded episode to launch the second series of Bespoke, which delves into commissioning in a fine art context, exploring both the practical and the human in the process, as well as all the compelling stories that shape a work of art. Um, in the meantime, please stay updated with our latest releases by subscribing to Bespoke on Apple um, and following us on Instagram at Bespoke. So until next time, it's goodbye from me, Adriana pace Ken, and a massive thank you to London Art Fair and my wonderful guests. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you Adriana. This is Bespoke. <laughs>